Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we will be talking about Most Wanted by Ray Carson on an ongoing effort to remind you that Solo doesn't suck. My name is Beth Van Dusen and with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shank. Over to you first, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book as well as uh, a couple of series of comics while we're at it. Uh, over the course of our conversation, we may spoil anything else Star Wars. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, give me what you got. After months of waiting, we finally played Jedi Survivor. <laughs> And we have, and it's been we delayed, have. and it is amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's real good. I mean, we're not going to go to even. We're not going to really talk about it much tonight, but yeah, I mean, Survivor. If you have the ability to buy it, we highly recommend it. It is just amazingly done. The story is really good. Chad, I know you're a little farther than I am, but yeah, I mean, I would say most the internet seems to agree that this is ranking up there as one of the best star Wars video games that's ever come out. Um, now that's not to say there's been some, some controversy and some problems with it. They apparently did a piss poor job on the PC port for it. And it was running terrible, like dropping down to under 50 frames and it was bad, but I guess they patched it or they're sending out a new patch for it. But yeah, I mean, I think the wait was definitely worth it. Worth it. It is a huge game. I don't know, Chad. What do you think so far? I'm really enjoying it. We'll probably have a more in depth talk about it later, mm-hmm. another episode. Um, I have one reservation, and it's a silly one based on the first one and based on what kind of game it is. Um, it's real violent. This one's way more violent. Than they the made one. it more violent. Yeah, and. I don't know if I love that from the point of view of playing a Jedi. Yeah. It just seems you kill a lot of people in this game. And I know they're stormtroopers and stormtroopers are faceless fodder. I get all that, but it's a very violent game. It makes you kill a lot of animals. You know, I know they're sorry. They're monsters, but and they're animals. Not just kill. You like chop their arms off. And stuff, which, which yeah. I appreciate was what would happen with the lightsaber, but. I know it's Star Wars and not Star Star Peace. Um, I know these are violent stories. Uh, the game just is. It's a. It's. I don't know. I'm. 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 I'm becoming more aware that games, at least major games, still haven't figured out how to interact without killing things. Uh-huh. Like there's still got to be a way to make games and entertaining AAA games that don't involve killing stuff. But we have yet to reach that level. Yeah, but if it's a Star Wars game about a Jedi, I mean, you're going to expect to be able to chop some stuff up. And if that brown wampa grabs me, then I should be able to chop its arm off. You should. You should. It's just playing it, his playing the hours and hours and hours that I've played of it. Just the violence has stood out to me. That's all. It's a really good game. I'm enjoying it. I'm still playing it. I plan on finishing it. I'm playing on Jedi Knight. Like, yeah. I cannot imagine playing this game on Master or Grandmaster. Yeah. Like, it, it's not an easy game. 
so other things that have come out, Vision Season 2 was released all at once. It is amazing. It is better than the first season, uh, particularly the Sith episode and the episode I Am Your Mother are We'll, we'll go in again. We'll have a recap on this later, but I definitely recommend visions. And then they have announced that vision season three is already in production. So I know we had talked about it on our first episode of visions, but it sounds like this is something they're going to continue to do. Um, I know Beth, you've watched it already, right? Yes. Was the Sith episode the first one? The first one. That was my favorite. Oh, I loved that episode. That episode has some of those beautiful animation I've ever yes. seen. I mean, just- and I enjoy I enjoyed the stop motion stuff, but God, that animation was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Speaking on the Disney Plus side, just a quick thing: Have y'all seen the Loath Cat from Ahsoka yet? No. Ha, no. Move over, Grogu. We, we've got a new favorite thing. So, I guess they've made an animatronic Loath Cat for Ahsoka, and it's one of the cutest things I've ever seen. And like in the cast is like talking about it and every interview, they bring it up. It's just wonderful. That's all. I just want to bring it up. <laughs> um, other Disney plus news with the writer strike. Uh, apparently all three shows were still in production. They didn't have to shut any of them down. So Andor Acolyte and skeleton crew are still going. So we shouldn't see delays on that, at least as of yet. They're probably already written. Yeah. That's what they said. And Skeleton Crew and Ahsoka are far enough in that they're... Well, Ahsoka definitely is on post-production. It's got to be at this point. Um, Acolyte's pretty far in, too. So, yeah, they're. I, I'm glad they're able to do that. We're not going to see too much of a delay. Not that I don't support the writers and what they're doing, because they should be giving their money for streaming. Kennedy, this is a, a fun... Kathleen Kennedy story. So remember, I, it was a, a scant four years ago, I think, May 5, when their plan was a Star Wars movie every year, right? Yes. Yeah, boy, has our story changed on that one. So now Kennedy says that she wants Star Wars movies to be like Bond movies, where they're big events that come out every three to four years, and that's what Star Wars should be. You mean like what Star Wars was? I you know, I don't know. <laughs> I like it is what it was. Yeah, I like listen to her say that, and I'm like, come on now. This is just because you can't get anything off the ground. N- not that it's her fault, but you know, like you just keep announcing things, and there comes a point where we have to realize some of it is her fault. Well, it's starting to feel that way. Um, it is. Over in the book news, they released the synopsis for the Rise of the Red Blade, the new uh, Delia Dawson book, you know, that's about the Inquisitor. And it sounds really cool. So it's going to be about a Padawan named Iscat, and it's going to follow her through, like, the Clone Wars. That's where it starts. And her master gets killed in the Clone Wars, but, like, throughout, like, her in the Clone Wars, I guess it kind of shows her getting kind of disillusioned with the Jedi. Part of it sounds very Ahsoka-esque. But then it will follow her into being an Inquisitor. And the freedom she feels and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think it sounds like a really cool story. And the write-up sounds great on it. I mean, I am assuming at the end she's going to, like, you know, see the error of her ways or whatever. Like the second sister in um, uh, Jedi Outcast. 
But I'm looking forward to that one. And I think, is that our next book that comes out? I think so. Um, the Kira book's not till like October. Yeah, I think Red Blade is July. Yeah. Because Path of Vengeance just came out. Which rules, by the way. Highly recommend it. Um, Shush, I'm still behind. So good. So, still behind. And then for our May the 4th toys, uh, they released uh, and put up some pre-orders for some pretty good figures. Um, They're doing an Attack of the Clones kind of wave. So they're going to do a Magna Guard, which looks great. They're going to re-release Grievous as a, I think he's a GameStop exclusive, but he's like an injured Grievous from um, Battlefront. If you don't have the Grievous figure, he's really well done. Um, they are going to do a new tooled phase two clone trooper and the helmet comes off. Um, he's all new tooling, which looks great. They're doing a Padawan clone wars, Ahsoka. Um, you know, she still doesn't look young enough to me for, no. I think what they were going for. Cause she's supposed to be, I think like season one, season two, Ahsoka, she's in that outfit, but she still looks a little old and she's got kind of a, not happy look on her face like make a snips figure <laughs> that's what i want i've got all a bunch of other ahsoka figures they showed the darth malgus figure it's a deluxe and it looks crazy good um all of those have gone up for pre-order and then for pipeline figures we're getting kid anakin you know so you can have your own little wizard playtime. Uh, we're getting Padme in her red the security outfit from the end of uh, Phantom Menace which again you know one of the biggest holes I think still is not having Padme in one of the big dresses I mean I imagine the tooling on it super expensive and some of those deluxe haven't done really well Oh, but her, they don't, they didn't put one out of her, her Anakin seduction outfit. Oh God. What if it comes with like a little half eaten pair? The one with like the black leather choker or whatever. Yeah. The one where she's like talking about Anakin, we can't be together. Look at my shoulders. Yeah. I don't like the way you look at me in yeah. my uncover. Maybe put some clothes on lady. I've come to this candlelit dinner in this dress, but, uh, <laughs> this is not a date. <laughs> this is not a date. Um, and the other pipeline, they're going to do an R5-D4 again. He was a GameStop exclusive years ago. And then what's weird is they're re-releasing Paz Vizsla as a regular release, not an archive. And so it's kind of a blurry picture, so you can't really see if there's any changes to it. But I can't think of any changes Paz Vizsla had over any of the shows. Not unless you could take his helmet off, but yeah. they already did that one. Yeah. So I don't know if they just decided after the Mandalorian they needed to put it back out, but that thing peg warmed. Like you could still yeah. get the carbonized version of that one at Best Buy for like next to nothing. And then our final toy news in our segment called Screw You Hasbro. Alright, so they announced all this stuff, right? And then it kind of got leaked out that Fives was gonna get released too as a Walmart exclusive. They didn't do an announcement for it. Just all of a sudden, like they were like, and we got these pictures of fives and they're clearly production shots. And then it came out. All right. Walmart's going to put it up. 
at 11 o'clock on May the 4th. And then Walmart being Walmart just went ahead and put it up at 1015 and sold it out in like 10 minutes, maybe because Walmart doesn't have a minimum on how many figures you can buy. And so five sold out quickly. I of course did not get my fives, which is, you know, a pretty important character if you're doing all the clone Wars stuff. So yeah, screw you Hasbro. <laughs> Screw, screw Walmart while you're at it. Yeah, actually Walmart. I don't have, like, really, there's like a really cool uh, toy store in town where I live now. Uh, we'll give them a little shout out, the Toy Bunker. You can go to thetoybunker.com. They ship everywhere. Um, really great store, has really great prices. And so I've been getting everything from him. But because, again, this is a Walmart exclusive, I'm not going to be able to get it. So that is some bull. And then our final thing, well, we should push. So we have... Uh, Ryan is learning how to use the Instagram. <laughs> so <laughs> execute chapter 66 now has an exciting Instagram page <laughs> where you can I, get episodes. And I might- and Ryan's running it. So I was super surprised. I was like, wait, we have an Instagram page. Instagram where I'm learning how to do it from my children. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do here? How do you make this button share? <laughs> Look, I'm not good with the social medias. All right, well, that's all the news. Chad, what's going on in the comics? Let's see. We have Yoda number seven. Uh, this issue, we fast forward to the Clone Wars, where Yoda takes on General Grievous. I'm really liking this series. Um, it's giving you a good, uh, kind of a good depiction of Yoda, uh, different angles on him, um, and, and hitting various eras and in, in his what his role is in those different eras, but I'm enjoying it. I'm really digging this series. I didn't think I would, yeah. but it's kind of almost like laying the groundwork for, you know, there's always kind of those questions of been like, well, where's Yoda? Why doesn't Yoda just come and do this? Well, turns out Yoda just kind of goes off and does stuff. <laughs> like yeah. He just like leaves yeah. for long periods of time. For, for decades at a time sometimes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'll be back later guys. And off he goes. Uh, Star Wars number 34, Luke begins his quest to find his new kyber crystal on the planet Christophsis because Ilum is under Imperial control. Should be interesting. Dr. Aphra 31, the fallout from the Spark Eternal. Uh, but listen, if you're gay or bi or queer in any way, you may want to read Dr. Aphra, the gayest book in all of Star Wars. It makes the High Republic look like the man show. Return of the Jedi Lando. So this is part of the, the series of one shots. Uh, we follow Lando and Chewie as they look uh, for info on how to rescue Han. I have a question, and this this isn't necessarily a comics question or anything. This is just a Star Wars question. Don't they already know where Han is? Why does it take a year to rescue him? Yeah. Just it just seems... It, I mean, it's a problem in the movies in general, but like... Then we have Psy, Darth Vader number 33. The corruption of the handmaiden, as the cover dramatically says. Listen, Greg Pack, I know you're listening to this. I don't normally use such language, but you're ruining a character that I happen to like a lot. And while I'm sure you have a reason and a payoff, I'm not sure it'll be worth it. There's going to have to be a huge payoff, like you said, to this whole arc. It just, yeah, Save feels completely off. Vader feels off. It just, none of it's in character. It's so odd. I just don't dig it. I just don't dig it. Uh, But that's it for comics. Our special guest tonight is the artist of the last couple Star Wars major crossover 
Events, Crimson Reign, and Hidden Empire, amongst other comics from Marvel and DC, and his own creator-owned uh, book, Wayward, for Image Comics, which I highly recommend. Uh, he also happens to be an old friend and a friend of the podcast, straight from Yokohama. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Stephen Cummings. Steve, how's Japan? Hey, Chad. Japan is nice. We have good weather and no pollen for a change. No pollen? Yeah, it looks like salary season is gone and I can draw with with Clearless. no sniffles and watery eyes. Um, but how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm um, in the middle of uh, an issue of Mandalorian. I'm um, the hours are long because I have to spend a lot of time referencing. Um, but it, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. You know. Now hold on, Chad. Chad, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to interrupt. It's finally time, <laughs> y'all. It's time to reveal our ruse. So, me and Steve have been doing a little trickeration and have kept a secret for the last five months. Ben and Chad do not know this. And I subtly manipulated Chad to invite Steve on the show tonight. Because tonight we will be having an unveiling. And for our readers, we will unveil it on the social media when uh, this episode comes out. But tonight we will be unveiling what I am not afraid to say may be the greatest piece of artwork that's ever existed. (laughs) So, Chad and Beth, I was hoping that we uh, were not doing video tonight. Um, So if you will go to our chat, I'm about to send you a picture of it. Okay. I I just I want you all to get ready. Um, You're going to have insane jealousy. You're going to be upset that you don't own this. You ordered a commission. I did order a commission. (laughs) Are are you ready? I'm waiting. I have a guess. Oh, you get ready. Here it Uh comes. Loading. Loading. Oh, sent. <laughs> Looking at a very nice <laughs> color piece of work with Mr. Plokoon and Ahsoka and Anakin. In the um what what is this meme called? Is there a name for this meme? Uh, it's the one, you know, where the the girl is with her boyfriend and looking back at the obviously more powerful rugged handsome man. <laughs> the master that she wants. <laughs> the master that she wants as opposed to the master that she has. That is sweet. That is really sweet. That's a great blow, too. It is. It's really good. Um, and bless you, Steve, for humoring him. No, it was it was fun. And when I was doing it, my daughter, um, she gave me directions. And those directions were, he's ugly, draw a different character. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how hard it has been. Not to show this to you. Like, it's been framed on my wall for a while now. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) So I was like, we're going to wait. We're going to do it on the podcast, have the big reveal. And and then it got delayed. I was like, no. Every time Chad messaged me and said, we got to push it back a week, I was like, damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we had a little confusion there. Um, that is super cool. That is super cool. We will post it on the on the Facebook page for sure. Yeah, that really is a good plocoon. It really right. is. It really he's, is. He's difficult for what it's worth. I bet. Uh, I I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. So how how does it feel now that uh, well, you, over two hundred pages that you had to draw right for this 
Um, Kira, Kira arc. It was like two thirty plus some covers. How do you feel now that it's all kind of out the door? Well, it's it's great. Um, but but um, man, those were some long hours. <laughs> yeah, I know you talked about that. Um, the uh, it, it was fun to work on the story. The writing was really nice, and the um, the writer Charles Soul, he he knows how to write for an artist, and so that made my life really easy. He would include things like uh, either illustrations or you know pictures directly into the script for reference purposes, or he would provide links. You know, like here here are some ideas of what I mean, um, and that really really helped. Um, it was fun to draw all those things though, because that those stories dealt with a lot of different points in Star Wars's history. Um, yeah, you hit a lot of different things. Yeah, and it was really cool. I mean, yeah, I got to draw stormtroopers and I got to draw a couple tie fighters. Those are those are classic. But I also got to draw like Coruscant, and I got to draw all the cool big capital ships, and and I got to blow some of them up, which was even cooler. Yeah, you got to you got to destroy the Vermilion. Yeah, I got to destroy the Vermilion. I got to destroy one of those weird interceptor, the interdictor. Uh, the interdictors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had people messaging me saying, "How did you get away with that?" Because in canon Star Wars, there's only a few of those left, and you know, I was like, "It's a story." As if you went rogue and yeah. no one knew what you were drawing. Exactly. Like Lucasfilm didn't know that we were going to blow up a fictional spaceship. It was, it was a lot of fun to work on, and it was very, very different from what I've been doing so far. You know, everything has been either creator-owned or superhero, so it's either been superhero or Japan-related. And Star Wars was like stepping back into my childhood. You know, I remember owning a lot of these toys, and I remember being jealous of my friends who owned the better toys. And, I, you know, it was really cool to actually get to draw everything. I got to draw Yoda at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah, you did. It was pretty cool. Did you find yourself as you were drawing the book, did you get invested in the story as well? Like when that last script came to you, were you just like, oh, let's just get this done? Or were you excited to find out how it ended? Actually, Charles and I chatted um, and he basically told me how the story was going to end. Oh, okay. So I, I knew what was going to happen. I just didn't know like what the actual beats were going to be. I didn't know that uh, Dr. Afro was going to appear, but I did know, I did know the basics. I didn't know what the, the overall um, results were going to be. Um, I did know that, you know, Kira was going to end up this lonely figure in a bar. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask, well, well I was going to say, cause in the very first issue of Crimson rain, it's promised that the story is going to be a tragedy. Yeah. Um, the archivist uh, tells us that in the very first issue. Yeah. And, uh, and that was one of my questions is what, what is, what, what do we think Kira's tragedy really is? Um, so Kira feels like somebody who sets out to accomplish a goal in life, like become a movie star, but ends up waiting tables. And Kira seems like someone who maybe got a couple roles and thought their life was going in the direction, but then things fell down. You know, it's, it's that tragedy of not accomplishing what you wanted, which was to be the one to destroy the empire. That's what she set out to do. And when, when you look at the story, if you, if you kind of overlay that with the main star Wars story arc, you know, the, the movies, I mean, um, you can see the rebels are doing all the fighting, but in reality, Kira is helping to set up the pieces on the chessboard and no one, no one knows that. And that's actually kind of sad for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of laid out at the end of the issue, right? That, that certain things that she did helped set up things that helped the Alliance win. And, and no one will ever know that except for, I guess, for Luke and Leia. Yeah. Luke and Leia. Um, um and apparently the archivist knows this stuff too. 
apparently she's still around, right? She survives the series, I remember, right? Yeah, she survived the series, and I actually want to know what happened to her because um, I actually liked that character a lot. She's like a, a glorified, force-interested librarian, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to know what she does. Did you design the archivist? No, I was sent some reference, which you might have seen. Um, and I think it was early reference for Darth Maul. that someone with these, these like sort of very thin braids coming off their head. Um, looks kind of like a woman, but might not be. I was sent this and said, this is your inspiration. The archivist looks a little like this. Now draw her. Why do you say that? Why do you ask Ryan? <laughs> Because she made me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) The whole time. I think we talked about it last time. Like, I never got used to seeing her. And I was like, she's she's just hideous. And I don't like it. Like, she's drawn very well. That's not what I'm saying. I I just, yeah. (laughs) Well, she's a little disconcerting once she, she, she looks fine until she goes into the dark side cave. Yeah. Then she comes out with the, was it the milky eye and the white hair? Mm-hmm. I'd like to know what she went through in that cave. Actually, I do too, because we, we had a different thing in mind and then we had to make some changes. Um, and um, we decided that it would be, it would be a, a scene where she obviously had some kind of force related incident, but we don't know what it is. And I, it'd be cool if we could go back and draw that. So when, before you talked to Charles, did you think at some point that you'd be drawing Kira's death. You know, when it when in that first issue, when it like Chad already touched on when the, um, the, the, uh, holocube, um, says this is a tragedy. The very first thing I thought when I read this script was, Oh yeah, someone's going to die. Maybe it's the lead. But then I was like, no, she's in the movie. I doubt we're going to kill her. So I, I then kind of, I then spent several issues having zero clue what the actual tragedy was going to be. I, I figured there'd be like a heavy body count. But I, I did. There's a fairly heavy body count. It's pretty yeah. heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. All, all the rest of Crimson Dawn. All the pilots, all the support staff, all the cooks that all died. Yeah. The orphans. The orphans. Um, wait, wait, wait. One of the orphans survived. Um, the, the sniper. The sniper, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She yeah. survived. And so, so there's still a body. Kira still does leave kind of a body count in her wake. No, she does. I mean, she got several of the Knights of Ren killed. Yeah, that as well. Yeah. We'll talk about the Knights of Ren and how they kind of are the heroes of the last issue in a in their in their own weird way. They they dumb though. <laughs> they real dumb. They are real. Dumb. I was like that's that's not going to work out for you guys. Like the emperor's not cutting any deals. Yeah, yeah, they just walk up to the emperor and like we're the ones that saved you and he's like he's like great zap. Hooray. Thanks. Yeah, the Emperor is another character my daughter uh, thought was unattractive and I shouldn't draw. <laughs> Machine wrong. Yeah, she but. had this she has this theory um, that she's really vocal in expressing to me that if instead of drawing the Emperor, I always draw Grogu, our sales will be astronomical. <laughs> I mean, she's probably not wrong, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if it makes story sense, but <laughs> I mean, speaking of, speaking of the emperor, you got to do something that people don't often get to do, which is you got to draw the emperor in action. Yeah, that I was not prepared for. I did. I didn't think that would happen. I thought we'd have the emperor being stately and then raising his fingers and zapping people, and that would be the end of it. And so I had to like, I had to like 
break out my old DVDs or my, I'm sorry, Blu-rays and watch, you know, the emperor fighting, uh, what was his name? Mace. Mace. And then, uh, he fights Yoda too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, he, he fights in the clone wars. Um, when he fights, uh, Oh God, who's that dude? They fight oh, Maul. Yeah. Well, it's when he, it's when, uh, yeah, it's Darth Maul, isn't it? After Darth Maul takes over the, um, the syndicates. The syndicates, yeah. There, there's a there's a scene where he's involved with a lightsaber, and so I, I I had to watch those and see what he did, and then then you know it, it was it was really interesting to actually draw him fighting. I enjoyed the relish that he showed. Yeah, and his lightsaber's so tiny. He's got to keep it up his sleeve. Yeah, exactly. He's got to hide it. Can't have it uh, too prominent. But I, I just got a, I just got a kick out of watching him just kind of get down and dirty, and being like and, and, and enjoying himself as well and and kind of like in a in a you know very evil way um but enjoying himself as he as he cut through crimson dawn soldiers well that was that was one of the responses that i noticed online people were really commenting on that um i thought they'd be more interested in kira but people were just like yeah dart you know darth sidious is pretty cool look at that because because we talked about the knights of ren like I, I did not expect them to kind of that was the one curveball. I didn't expect them to be the ones to come in and change the course of the entire thing. Because because let's talk about the Fermata cage for a second. Fermata, Fermita, whatever cage, however you pronounce it. Kind of the MacGuffin of the series, you would call it, right? Kind of the thing that everybody's chasing after or the thing that everybody wants to get a hold of. Um, I thought it was a pretty effective trick. The whole Sith Lord trapped in a cage thing because i i my my brain went to i was trying to guess which sith lord was going to come out of it oh yeah i totally fell for it yeah i absolutely fell for like which sith lord is going which sith lord is steven going to get to draw is it going to be darth bane is it going to be darth nihilus like who are they going to bring into canon in this moment and the fact that it turns out to be like a ghostbuster trap (laughs) (laughs) or vader and the emperor i thought was a really clever twist but something was in it, as we, we find out. It did have a something. We just don't know what that is yet. In the many years before Return of the Jedi starts, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, <laughs> whenever Return of the Jedi starts. Yeah. We, we, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing debate on the show here about how, how, how long the comics can go before they catch up to Return of the Jedi. I was actually wondering that. Um, what's the exact point in time that the series takes place in? We didn't we didn't start out with a, you know, star date, whatever at the beginning of the episode. Um, right. And so it's, it's not really solid in, in, in where it fits in the, the chronology of star Wars. And so I am still curious to find out exactly where it takes place. Star Wars is iffy when it comes to time. As far as how long things take and, and how long people are doing things. It's a, it's a little, it's all a little wishy washy. We just found out on the Mandalorian that like two, what two two years passed between seasons. Yeah, that that surprised me, and that was a very surprising development. So Star Wars has always been a little weird on the time. We just there's just been so many comics post Empire Strikes Back that we're just waiting for them, to, and we know that uh, Sewell's got another big crossover coming up later this year. Dark Droids, right? It's called and. Um, and we're still trying to figure out, like, are, 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 we're, we're actually wondering if the comics are even allowed to dip their toe into the post-Return of the Jedi New Republic era or not. 
you know, or are they just telling these stories here and in the and now? Well, that's actually a good a good question. I wonder how that works. Because um, right now that era is kind of the era of the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they want to keep that. Maybe Dave Filoni has kind of called dibs on it, and and they kind of keep they're keeping that away from the comics because we haven't because those first five years of the New Republic we don't really have any stories in there except for. I guess the aftermath, the aftermath books. Aftermath, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But are I those canon? Yeah. Pardon? Are those canon, those books? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they were amongst the first canon novels. But okay. also those timelines keep changing too. Well, you know, again, it's it's Star Wars. You just kind of kind of take it as it goes. So uh, Ryan mentioned it, but what are you working on now? I'm working on um, I'm working on season two of Mandalorian. So, um, you know how each season is like eight episodes, uh, which means those are adapted into one issue each. And so I'm working on the second season's pencils. Um, I'm doing the odd, the even numbered uh, issues and somebody else is doing the odd numbered issues. How, how has that been different doing it? You said it's just a lot more research or a lot more just references. Uh, there's a lot to reference. Um, yeah, the, the, the adaptation is directly from the episode. And so I do have to spend a lot of time looking at the episode. I have a lot of referencing to do though, too, because there are things in the episodes that just aren't clear. You know, things are moving so fast. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a comic book, things don't move at all. They're, you know, they're, they're very static images on a page. We can, we can fudge that in a comic and we can, we can give the impression of movement, but at the same time, you do have to draw detail. Um, so I have to do a lot of a lot of research, like you said, but I have a lot of support. Uh, I was given a lot of reference material, and um, I was given so much reference material. I'm not sure I've seen it all. There's right. so much of it. Um, plus, you've got the show. Plus, I've got the show. The, the issue is that um, sometimes the show is just really dark. Right. Right. Um, some of those scenes are like super dark, and you can't really make out things. Um. But, but so I, I think in a day I might spend four hours at least looking at my screen. Are they more specific with an adaptation like that? Like how you do your panels? Like they say, like, all right, we want a panel from minute 16, whatever this. No, no. Okay. It's, I get a, I get a script. Somebody adapts the, um, there, there's a Rodney Barnes. He's the writer. And so he's adapting the, the, the actual episode. Um, and so he's he's taking scenes like at like basically a scene is usually a camera cut, and um, he's he's making making one of those into a panel. The the thing is is what works on TV or in movies doesn't always work on a comic page, um, because in some in some scenes people will stand still and talk back and forth. Whereas in a comic you end up if you draw that you end up with a lot of crisscrossing um, word balloon lines. You, you know what I mean? Um, and so. Some of those, some of those scenes have to be cut up into multiple panels. Uh, the writer knows what he's doing there. Um, the the um, action, there's, there's a little more freedom on the action because you can't really draw what is on a screen. I mean, in a single in a single instance on a, a screen, you could see multiple things happening all at once. Whereas in a comic, you kind of need to focus down on one or two things. So it's really close, but it's not quite the same. Uh, remind me again. I'm sorry. Are you doing the evens or the odds? I'm doing the evens. So you'll do the season finale. 
Actually, yeah, and I'm really excited about that because um, lots of good stuff happens. Like like Mandalorian, Mando's ship gets blown up. That's awesome. That's awesome when Luke appears. Uh, yeah, it is awesome. Wait, does his does Mando's ship get blown up in the last episode? I think it might be in the sixth one. Oh, cool! I still get to draw that. That's great. Yeah, it might <laughs> might be yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, in that final one, you get dark troopers, dark troopers, and I get I get to draw Luke. You get Luke, yeah. Um, I get to draw the inside of that light cruiser, which will be kind of interesting. It looks a little different from a regular Darth, uh, Star Destroyer. How's your Grogu? I've gotten better. He's he's a tough one. Is he tough? Yeah, he's really tough because if you look at him on the screen, when you when they do close ups of him, you look he's got a lot of like lines on his face. Um. If you compare him to Yoda, he doesn't have as many, but he still has lines. The thing is, if you draw those lines, Grogu suddenly looks old. Um, and so you've got to kind of, you've got to kind of find a really nice balance between making him look young, but also have all the, the weird whatever race they are features. The the wrinkles and like they got like those weird foreheads. Um, they're like Star Wars Klingons or something. And um, also he's his his. Body language is kind of cute most of the time. He's he's an interesting character to draw. I wanted to ask you about the connecting cover you did. Oh, for Hidden, Hidden Empire. Empire. Yep, I drew that. How, you, you have a you have a five issue connecting cover that's one big that for for all five issues that that connect into one giant picture. How do you even start to approach something like that? Are you given specific directions, or were you just told make us a connecting cover? Uh, for that one, I was I was told we want to connect. We want to have all the characters in in one place if we can, and make like one big scene out of it. Um, and so I, um, I um, first of all, I had to think about how can I even do that because all those all the issues are set in different locations, and it's, it, there's really not like a lot in common. You got some people on planets, some people in spaceships. There's you know shots of space. Uh, so I I kind of. I made a bunch of different designs. Uh, I sent in some rough sketches uh, and each rough sketch was drawn over like, I want to say three sheets of letter size paper. You know, you just tape it on the back. Um, And then, um, then um, my, my editors and I had a back and forth about which they liked the best. And we ended up going with the, um, the, the space version that you guys have all seen. And, um, in fact, I just sent you the, the rough chat if you want to look at it on um, Messenger. And so you can see there's a lot of, a lot of notes and there's a lot of um, uh, just it's it's you can see I've tweaked it on the computer for size purposes. And then then, of course, I had to take that and expand it out uh, into to real size. And of course, I drew it. I drew it on four sheets of paper. So it it's real. No, it's actually five sheets of paper. It's uh even trimmed down, it's like four and a half feet wide. It's a really big piece of, of uh, paper to draw on. Um, yeah, yeah. I made sure to pick up. Those were my my soft covers. I picked up all the connecting covers. Thank you, sir. I would shake your hand if you were in front of me. And I think they're cool because they give each. Because one thing you've got in both of these books, but you've got a, you've got a huge cast of characters. But most of them, even though you got to draw a lot of iconic stuff, a lot of the characters are kind of very specific to this story. And like we talked about the archivist and, and um, I forget her name, the leader of the orphans. Um, oh, that was Chanith Chaw. Chanith Chaw, right. Did you have a hard time keeping track of the names sometimes? 
I totally did. At one point I was reading the script and it said death stick. And I was, I was like, I was like, what dude is that? And I kept thinking, I kept trying to think of all the male characters and I ended up having to go back and flip through old scripts to figure out the death stick was actually one of the night sister looking people. <laughs> yeah. The one you created the ship for. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun, by the way. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, um, that was one of the things I got a lot of feedback, uh, from, from the actual licensor for, yeah, for ships. There's, there's a design aesthetic and you, you have to try and match it and they, they know it really well. And so they'll, they're the best guidance on something like that. Really. What about the Crimson Dawn fleet then? I got similar, similar notes, except one of the notes was to make it, make it uh, fashionable, I think was the note. Right. Like and, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And like that actually stopped me for like a day. I, I did not know what to do. I was like fashionable. Cause I was imagining like spaceships, like accessories or something. I was like, how do I, you know, how do I even begin to do that? Um, but they did have a lot of really good notes too. Um, they explain what they like and what they don't like. And then once I have those notes, I can, I can flesh things out and try and finish it. Did you guys, did you guys, um, overall, what did you think of the way the story ended? I was extremely surprised. Um, I think like most people, I mean, even way back when Kira first showed up, I thought in Crimson Rain, I assumed she would die. Um, and I'm glad she didn't. Um, I hate when they kill off good characters that have so much potential going forward. And I really appreciate it just throughout the whole thing, how capable they made her. Like, you know, she took on Vader and almost beat him. Yeah, they came close. Stupid Knights of Ren. <laughs> Get a shirt, Ren. Right? Yeah, actually, that, that does oh, bug me. Him. Yeah, running around in space with no shirt. I kept wondering, does he get sick? Like, what's the deal? I almost thought it was sadder that she didn't die because that, that last panel of her at the bar looking just so lost and so empty is so sad. Yeah, I thought the same thing, but of course I had to draw what I was told to draw. Well, yeah. But but it is it's it's more effective as a story. Her just dying and and just everybody going, oh, she's dead. That's sad. It's it's more sad for her story. It's it's a better story, I think, that she lives and she sees what she wanted to happen. Just she didn't do it. Well, and everything that she gave up to make that to even to she, she gave up so much just to fail. You know everything she had built. With, with Crimson Dawn and in 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 yeah the the criminal enterprise, but then when we see in Hidden Empire, we see her f- that she's built an entire fleet ready to ready to take on the Empire, ready to ready to fight, and she loses all of it in her in her in her attempt, and um, you know she's definitely someone we're gonna, you know later on this episode we're going to talk about a book about young Kira. And one thing that, that, that has been, always been constant uh, from then through the movie and now, now through your series is her ambition. Um, is her always looking to, to do something bigger. And in this series, she took on the biggest thing she possibly could. And she, you're right. She almost did it. What book is that? It's called Most, Most Wanted. Um, it's a prequel book to the uh, solo movie. Oh, cool. I've, I've never heard of that, but I'm going to look for it. Thank you. 
Yeah. And then she will have a new book that will come out in in the fall. Or is it? I don't actually take it back. I think it's summer. Um, that will take place after Solo. Or it's the story of how she ends up um, becoming a member of Crimson Dawn. So it'll be called Crimson Climb. Do you do you guys think we're going to see her in in movies again or in TV or something? I would guess no. I doubt it. I mean, there's been rumors that she wants to come back, but I don't know. It, it kind of feels like where y'all ended it is a good end for her. Um, now, what I do really want, though, is a scene that takes place during like Return of the Jedi, maybe when they're in hyperspace, when Leia's like, Han wakes up and Leia's like, dude, let me tell you what happened. And like, yeah. you need to talk about your ex girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So I met Kira. She almost killed Darth Vader. <laughs> that is an interesting conversation between Han, when Han wakes up mm-hmm. and finds out <laughs> about all of this. Because I went back before before we recorded tonight. I went back and I reread War of the Bounty Hunters, the main book, um, and then Crimson Rain and Hidden Empire. I read all fifteen issues or whatever, and. uh and yeah, Han has a hell of a story to wake up to. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, no, I, 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 I agree with these guys. I felt that her, she also like ends up anonymous and has to use all of her skills to, I mean, cause the thing is she runs away from the empire and she, she manages to get away with it. She survives, which means all of her skills that she's acquired, she's still using them to try to keep herself alive. You, you want her to be somewhat happy for the fall of the empire there at the end. And, and just doesn't feel like, I think she's, she's given up too much for, for to feel any kind of joy in that moment. Well, I, I feel truly sad for her um, because she, she can't really, she can't really be in the center of all the, the joy and take the glory for what she did. Um, and that for me is why I like the ending. It's like a, Yay, the, the heroes are going to win because of this, but also, man, that sucks for you. And I, I actually like that. I was watching Solo last night, and it made me kind of think of her ending. There's the conversation they have, she has with Han when he first comes back, and she talks to him about, you're the good guy. And, you know, basically, she's not. And I kind of like in her book, and in the end, she ends up the good guy. You know, she for so long was just trying to get power and all that stuff. And I think that's attributed to Han. Like she lived up to what he saw in her. I had a real cool question. Is guru FX a person or a company? That's a group of people. It's um, It's it's like an art studio. Yeah. Okay. I've I've worked with them on several books. They do good work. Really good work. Yeah. I was just wondering, it's just always listed as the colorist. And I always, because it sounds like a DJ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, it's a name. It's a, a group name. Group name. Okay. That yeah, a studio name, whatever you want to say. So where can people find your work online if they want to go check it out? So I have a website. It's uh, stekichikun.com, S-T-E-K-I-C-H-I-K-U-N.com. It's currently being rebuilt. It suddenly evaporated one day due to the, the hosting company selling off half of its divisions. Um, <laughs> so, right. yeah, that was that was a surprise. Um the I'm now, I'm now rebuilding it, uh, making it a little nicer to look at, and I finally I'm, I'm finally able to offer the Crimson Rain pages. So I'm gonna 
I'm going to relaunch with those on there for sale. Um, I am on Facebook, but I'm kind of getting rid of Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter, but I barely use it. Mostly it's my wife doing it for me. Um, hey, good for you. Yeah, I, I discovered that I was finishing drawing four and five hours early when I decided to cut back on that stuff. And I, I realized my mistake. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I can be, I can be, uh, you can email me through um, Stephen at stickichikun.com. Um, spelled with a V in case anybody's interested. And um, otherwise, at the moment, until my website's up, it's going to be a little difficult to get in touch with me unless you do the Stephen at stickichikun.com. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on again. No, thanks for having me. It's great to really appreciate it. And uh, we really, really enjoyed the book. Both, both of them. Thank you very much. I hope you guys like Mandalorian when it comes out later this year. Absolutely. And and Steve, I I mean this, you drew the hell out of these books. Thank you. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. You really did. I really enjoyed it. I've been, I've been following you this whole time. You know, you know, whenever you would put out a book, I would pick it up, but yeah, that was something I learned. I learned years ago. Jeff, Jeff told me one day that he didn't even buy all my books. He, He only knew that you were buying my books. And I was like, I have one fan. Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> no i was and uh, and i think you keep getting better and hidden empire is a gorgeous looking book thank you very much and thank you guys I, I do enjoy your show i listen to it from time to time i like to hear about the the side of star wars that i would not normally get to see because we don't have you know your books in the stores here or the, the star make, wars novels are here make sure to listen to this one because we're going to be talking about kira some more awesome i i will but i'll probably skip over this i can't listen to the way my voice sounds I understand that. Yeah. It's a good that is fair. I've never listened to a single episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, guys, right. thank you very All much right. for having me. And, um, you know, I really look forward to what you guys do next. Han, not yet Solo, and not yet Lady Kira, are living under the streets of Coronet City on Corellia, scrum rats working for Lady Proxima and her white worms. They barely know each other and are both up for the job of head scrum rat, which would be a considerable upgrade to either one's quality of life. They are both sent separately on the same mission to bid and retrieve on a powerful piece of Imperial MacGuffin technology that a mysterious seller has put up for auction. When the deal all goes tits up, Han and Kira wind up in possession of a data cube that contains the aforementioned Imperial MacGuffin. And with the bidding factions coming after them, including their own White Worms, and maybe the Imperials who want their tech back, Han, Kira, and their buddy Sulo, who sounds a little too much like Solo for me, unless that's on purpose, I don't know, have to figure out what to do with the cube. They steal Sulo's brother Speeder, and after a harrowing ride through the streets of Coronet, 
They escape to Kira's secret safe house. There, they decide the best course of action would be to return the data cube to the engineer, the creator of the device, and also the one selling it, so the plans can be resold. While on a mission to find out how much the, how to contact the engineer, the engineer contacts them, pretty, and tells them she will most definitely take back the data cube and will help them escape Corellia forever. But they have to do her, her a favor first: rescue one of her people, one of her assets, as she calls them, from an Imperial detention facility. Using some fake IDs and a few stun bombs, they manage to pull it off and bring the Wookiee known as Kiru back to the engineer. Han and Kira and Sulu take their first trip into space and then their first trip into hyperspace, which Han really, really digs. They meet up with the engineer on her ship, the Nimbus Red, which is fancy and has a food and showers, which might as well be heaven for a scrum rat. They give the plans back to the engineer and Kira organizes a second bid, this time with the help of the White Worms. The engineer accepts and impressed with, with Kira offers her a job working for her. The engineer contacts Lady Proxima and organizes the second auction hosted by the White Worms for Proxima's contacts. In exchange for a small finder's fee, small for them but huge for Proxima, this time the Caldana Syndicate, who were sore losers the first time around, win the plans bidding over a billion credits and send their ship to make the exchange and also to take the three scrum rats home to Lady Proxima. Kira refuses the engineer's offer because she doesn't like the way the woman treats people and even though it would have meant comfort and money and luxury and all the things the white worms could never give her but would also mean leaving her friends behind and she's learning she doesn't want to do that. Once on their ship the Kaldana take the MacGuffin and then decide to kill the three kids instead of taking them home. Prepared for this, Kira uses a stun grenade on the pirates and they make for the escape pod, but Sulo is shot dead before they get there. He was a sweet little force-worshipping Rodian. Once they were out of the Kaldana ship, the Nimbus Red destroys it, as the engineer has been paid by another one of the bidders to take them out. Double cross on a double cross. Effectively extinguishing the syndicate. Han and Kira return to the White Worms, and after Han tells Lady Proxima that Kira rejected the engineer's job offer, Proxima makes Kira the new head scrum rat. Han and Kira realize they don't want to be white worms anymore and begin planning their escape from Corellia. They end up as close friends, but leave the door open for something more in the future. Having got, just got done with Crimson Raid and Hidden Empire, I will say this, this book gets Kira right. Like, it really predicts... I don't know if Soul was taking this and solo as his inspiration for how he's writing the character, but it's really gets her right. Her, you know, this is a book about her learning it partially. It's a book about, it's more her book than his. It, it feels like, um, which is interesting, but cause, cause to me, the real story is her learning who she is and learning that she has ambitions and that she has the the tools to to achieve those ambitions. She has that the talent um, is is a big part of the story. And I really think they they got down her her amb that ambition and, and also her ability to plan or, or you know the the budding of her idea of being a planner. That's that's going to play out in Crimson Rain. Yeah, to be able to twist a situation. Yeah. Han, Han and Sulo come off as more 
foils to highlight her character than they do fully fleshed characters of their own. And it's not that they're not good character characters, well-written or engaging, but it's more that everything everyone in this book does highlights something about Kira and Kira finding yeah. out who she is and, and where she wants to go. Yeah, it really does end up becoming her book. You're right. They, they, I think too, and this book pointed out or made me realize it again. I think out of all the movie characters, Han is the hardest to write. And I think that has to do with Harrison Ford. Like it's just, he's, he's Han Solo. And so it's that voice. I think is just difficult to write and she does a good job. It's not bad. But I just think he's different. He's hard. He's one of the biggest movie stars that ever lived. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to. And, and so much of Han like relies on facial expressions and his stature and the way he leans and. And the it, tone of his voice too. Right. I mean, like the, actual, the actual tone of it. Mm-hmm. You know, extra timber of Harrison Ford's voice. No, I agree. It's, it's tough. It's one of the things that I think. Aaron Reich is good in solo, but it's one of the things that holds him back a little bit is he's not Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. You just can't be. We'll find out what 25 minutes of de-aged Harrison Ford looks like (laughs) coming up soon here. 25 minutes in style of destiny of de-aged Harrison Ford. That's a lot. (laughs) All right. Let's see see what you guys can do. I hope they brought in that deep fake guy that they hired for. Yeah. for Mandalorian, but you're right. It, it seems like Han is Han doesn't have much of an arc mm-hmm. in this book. He kind of starts as the, I mean, basically by the, his arc is he gains a friend. Yeah, he has no right to claim head boy status. No, no, no. <laughs> he should not be head boy. He he comes away with a I want to go to outer space again. Yeah, which is important. Which is important for his character. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. That he wants to go to outer space again. Um, I just really liked seeing Corellia. Some more of Corellia. You know, we got a glimpse of it in the movie. I like that moment. There's a really nice moment where Kira goes up at the, in that luxury hotel where the auction is. Mm-hmm. And she sees in the distance there, there's still plenty of mountains and green areas of Corellia. It's just the city is a shithole. So it kind of... I don't know, makes it a little more earthy, I guess, in a way. And I guess I never thought about it watching Solo, and I watched it again last night. They all smell like poop. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they had that scene yeah. where they're away from it a little while, and then they're like, God, what is that smell? And yeah. then they're like, oh, wait, we also smell like this all the time. I mean, and, you know, we get the origin of Kira's red shirt that she's all excited about that apparently she still has in Solo. Um <laughs> But it probably. I wonder how many years are supposed to pass between this and Solo. They're like sixteen in this, right? Or eighteen? Uh, no, they're eighteen. Eighteen by their I, best guesses. Yeah, I didn't think many. Yeah, doesn't seem like it. Because they're already starting to plan mm-hmm. getting out of there. Yeah. You know? But uh, I don't know. I liked. I liked the whole kind of getting to know the how the scrum rats work and how the the white worms work and got a little bit more Moloch. Mm-hmm. 
jizz figure I got on clearance, you know. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just waited. Nobody, nobody, nobody bought poor Moloch. And we get the reveal. The most important thing to have on Corellia is dog biscuits, apparently. <laughs> if you've got dog biscuits, you can do all sorts of stuff. Are they still dog biscuits when the people are eating them just as much as the dogs? They're just biscuits. Sometimes dogs eat them. And they count themselves lucky for having the biscuits rather than their rat porridge. Which, yeah. You brought it up in the recap. Why did she name him to Solo? <laughs> this is one I actually listened to. Oh, did you? Yeah, because it was free on Amazon. And I already don't do really well with audiobooks. Um, and that just made it worse. <laughs> it's like, what? Right? Like, it's. It, did they pronounce the T in the audiobook? No, it sounded like Sulo. So it's Sulo, right? <laughs> yeah, oh. it's Sulo. Yeah. And it made me crazy. I think I called him Sulu in the in the recap at least once. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and it messed him where I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked about this on here. So I have dyslexia. Um, I have uh, what's it's called naming dyslexia. Um, and so oftentimes if you hear me mispronounce words or names, that's why. But that made me nuts because like my brain was just like, oh, what is happening? Like we learned, you know, from Solo that Rodan's mouths are dry, which I thought was really weird because they carry, can carry data chips in them. Well, they're drier. Drier. Drier in a sewer. But I did think it was interesting that they, I mean, they basically said that when he was younger, he was force sensitive. And that, it, you know, he talked to Han about it. And so once again, we've got a character, you know, that is around somebody that can use the force and stuff, which is far away from Han Solo's. I've seen everything and there's no force. Right. I just thought that was like a weird. I don't know why they decided to include that. It just felt odd. And it was short. Like, it's not like he. <coughs> pushed anything or anything like that. I think he said he would like know things before they happened or something. I liked Sulo's kind of religiosity um, contrasted with Han's cynicism. But Han does have the attitude in it, a very kind of live and let live attitude in this, at least where he's like, whatever, but whatever, you know, He's not necessarily, he's, he's not really mocking it. He's just kind of like, yeah, if that helps him, whatever, you know? Well, except when it comes to Sulo dying, because at that point, no, he can't say, yeah, yeah, the force is, is gotcha, buddy, you're fine. Which I thought was weird. That he can't say it? No, that he can't just comfort him in that moment and, and say, no, you didn't fail the force. The force has always been with you. Or just anything to comfort Sulo when he's dying that Kira can jump in and say like even if you don't believe it I think coming from Han you would just know it was bullshit yeah that's true I, I, I think I think that's the thing he can't say it because he he's almost too honest in that moment to do it that that you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe him you know Kira is the actor you know Kira is the leader Kira is the one with more charisma even at, at this point who can 
who can who who reacts in that moment in a leadership position um and does what what you would do in that situation han like it's not for him He's not that guy that comforts you. But she's not good with compassion, whereas he is. No, but she can fake it. I think she did a good job kind of showing why Kira likes Han, though. Because there's a couple of times where she kind of acknowledges that, yeah, his carefree attitude, but he also kind of draws people in and they're drawn to all these friends he has, you know, the old man and Sulo and all them. Um, And it made their relationship make a little more sense or why she likes him so much. Yeah. I thought they did a good job bonding the two of them. Yeah. I like the scene where she had to take them to her hideout and it was kind of a dump and you got a lot of her, like, I guess embarrassment over what it was. And well, she had pride about it until she had to show it to other people. Right. And then she was embarrassed of it. But Han was like, this place is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a sewer. You know, she, she's she's vulnerable in that moment because she's showing him her secret clubhouse. Her treehouse that she's built, you know, and and it's very, you know, she feels very vulnerable in that moment. I also really enjoyed her once in a while. This book would turn into Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. And we got the Rodan Racer, which was really fun just to picture <laughs> this like speeder that has like fake Rodan antennas on it. Yeah, holographic really flames that come out of it. Yes. Like, yeah. Sulo's brother. Yeah. I like that they give the holographic flame attachment to his robot friend later. Yeah. Tool. His, ro- his robot friend's name was Tool. Tool. Yep. <laughs> the bright green Rodian speeder that they end up driving into the ground and destroying it by the end of the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They chop it up after a while and then they just destroy <laughs> it. They take pieces off. They, they end up taking off the the, the antenna and uh, end up really roughing it up. But um, yeah, I, I didn't mention tool in the, in the, in the, the was it the droid Gatra? Yes. That was what it's called. Gatra, Gata. Gatra. Gatra, which is the, the droid independence movement, which is interesting. Uh, one, cause the droid Gatra is mentioned in Crimson Empire. There. And we have dark droids coming this year from Charles Sewell, who happened to write Crimson Empire. The droid Gratra always makes me think, or maybe you think about it. it might be. But, and see, that's one of the things I have. Like, you know, we talk about hyperspace, how they kind of go back and forth on it. They go back on droids, too. Yeah. Like, I think this dark droid at least from the previews, looks like it's about like, oh yeah, there's this droid that thinks for himself and is going to start a gang. Like we've never seen that before. And we've seen it plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. We we're, re- we're talking about a book now where one does tool is very much his own droid. And if it's about a droid revolution, we've already seen that too with L3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just wonder if it's related at all. I, I know I know partially what it's about because they drop a hint to it in the Han Solo comic. And it was in that preview comic too, or some of like a little. Yeah. Yes. In the revelations. Revelations. Yeah. I don't know. There's not a whole lot to say. It's a, it's a, it's a YA book. It reads like a YA book. It's a fast read, but I think, and the MacGuffin is a, what is it? It's an Imperial shield generator. Yes. A portable shield. 
portable shield generator. I didn't care. That's why I kept calling it the Imperial MacGuffin. <laughs> well, what's funny about it is they're like making this like big deal about like, oh yeah, and you can move it around and all this stuff. And I'm like, eh, why don't you go talk to the Gungans? <laughs> they got plenty <laughs> of those. <laughs> like they got ones you could just hold. I would say overall, like reading this and then rewatching Solo, and then like you said, reading the comics again, it, it does make me kind of sad. Like these are good characters and I think people just didn't give Solo the chance it deserved. They they are good characters and it is there's a lot of good story here and it's a shame that the movie didn't do well and it mm-hmm. kind of paints all this. I mean, you know, Steven was asking if we'll ever see her again in live action and I just don't see a situation where that happens because I don't see a situation where any of these characters come back in live action because this is like the redheaded stepchild of Kathy Kennedy's reign so far. The only way I think I could see her maybe showing up again is if the Lando show ever gets made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which you notice they haven't mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. While I think Rogue One is a better movie, it doesn't weigh as heavy on me. It's a good light watch. It's a good just kind of throw it on the background movie in a way that maybe Rogue One isn't because of how heavy it is. That's why this is a good book is be, uh, for a YA book. It, it's the perfect setting for a YA book because it's it's not a heavy book. They're not heavy characters and it's not heavy stories. You're not going to sit down and expect to read a book about young Kira and Han and have it be a, a real dark, heavy story. You want something light and YA. But also, it's not traditional YA in that these two characters don't spend the whole time swooning over each other and making out. Not a lot of strong fingers in this book. <laughs> no, no strong, no, no strong heavy thirst. <laughs> no, just a little bit of flirting. It's not even flirting. It's it's like you said. It's them taking notice of each other. It's like every once in a while, I thought it was a really interesting way to show people growing attracted to each other. Where just every once in a while, one of them would notice a small thing about the other. And that would just kind of be added to the list of things that they find intriguing about this person. And I thought that was a really interesting way to show two people getting to know each other, you know, just noticing, oh, that's you, okay. That's something that you do. You're, you're the planner, you know, or whatever, or you're, you're really smart or whatever. You're good, good numbers, whatever it is. But whenever they would notice something about one or the other, it would kind of like add up. I mean, to be fair though, I mean, you would notice another attractive person in the sewer, no matter what, considering everyone's here around is a worm and a little kid that smells like poop. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they happen to be the two hottest humans. (laughs) Probably helps. Probably helps. So Chad, what do we got next on the docket? Well, you knew we couldn't get by without talking about it. So here we are Mandalorian season three. We'll be talking Mandalorian season three. We'll be taking a little bit of Bad Batch. Don't worry. We're, we're going to talk about the Bad Batch. We're not going to do a whole episode about it this year, but we're going to talk about the Bad Batch. Uh, and then we're going to be talking Mando season three with hopefully a couple of guests. I would recommend if you've only watched the Mandalorian and you have not watched the Bad Batch yet, watch it. Yeah, it's better. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And we will talk to you all soon.
Roger, Roger.